The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, England face Sweden. Germany try to make it past the French. Good luck, say drivers at Dover. We'll be looking ahead to those fixtures, plus talking hot transfers with Jay Ling's another forest hire. And amid some managerial panic, asking when are you allowed to take pre-season friendlies seriously? All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Right, listener, Monday 25th of July. We're on a journey with Daniel's story. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Flo Lloyd-Hughes is with us as well. Hello, Flo. Hello, hello. Tom Williams on board. Hello, James. All right, Tom. And most importantly, you, listener. How are you doing? All right. Uh, Nice to see everybody. Nice to see Daniel. Daniel, you finally got released. You spent the heat wave locked up in a box a bit kind of bridge on the river Kwai style how are you feeling yeah today? Uh, i mean i i had a i should explain yes i had a, a positive covid test uh mm. and my my partner is clinically vulnerable which means i was in one room plus bathroom for 10 days which was yeah i mean it was it only got up to 46 in this office so oh my goodness that was good you were in there locked in in 46 degrees yeah only a calippo yeah i had i mean i had two fans i the main tactic was the the soaking wet towel on the back of the neck or round the neck um mm. and that sort of redoing that every 20 minutes basically um, right you were locked it, it was... in a bedroom with only fans yeah but it does of course every teenager's dream yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> it does make us you know grateful for being able to come out today and have major tournament semi-finals to look forward to woof it's true but you're still, Daniel, you're still in your office doing a podcast. Yeah, I know, You haven't yeah. escaped. You're still you can't there. See, I'm just covering up the scratch marks on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's extraordinary, though. I mean, uh, what well, well done for making it through with your sanity intact. 46 degrees and uh, stuck inside those four walls. As you say, a semi-finals coming up Tuesday and Wednesday in Euro 2022. And the rest of the season, the new season, getting started officially this coming weekend, Community Shield this week, you've got only 10 days indeed from today till, till Palace Arsenal from the Premier League as well. Remarkable. It's really flown by. Feels like it's looming now, the season, doesn't mm. it? I've been, it, it, has, it has felt a long way away for quite a long time. And it's, it's been, you know, it's been no bad thing being able to sort of switch off from, from the, the Premier League and, and all the rest of it for a little while. But yeah, it, it feels, feels a lot more imminent than, 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 it, than it did a week ago, as right. is often the case with the passage of time. That's how it came to work. <laughs> Here's a question from Michael Hill. It says, last week's show, who was getting something built and what is it? Uh, Michael, that was me. And apologies if there are construction noises at any point today. That's, uh, there's nothing being built, disappointingly. Nothing good will come out it's of this. It's not some giant Lego, James, that you're constructing. No. Uh, is that a reference to the Colosseum, which made my Christmas so very special? Well, last I feel like a, a couple of times I was on recently, you've been waiting Lego deliveries as well. No, that that would be Carl Anker, I suspect. Oh. But I did at Christmas get a large leg. Well, they only make one size, and it is large, and it's the, the Colosseum in Lego, um, and uh, it's not cheap. 
but it, it it's quite extraordinary. Uh, Daniel, you did do, and I, sorry, listen, we will move on to football very shortly, but I'm just going to say, <laughs> Daniel, you did make the Bernabeu, no, you made the Camp No. Yeah, the, the, there's this company who are not uh, uh, affiliated with Lego, although it's a very similar product, shall we say, that, that make football stadiums, including... I think they do Goodison and Stamford Bridge and Highbury and, and quite a lot across England. I'm still waiting for the city ground. Mm. Uh, and they do the, the Camp Nou, which I've, I've... So I've done the Camp Nou and St James's Park and uh, the San Siro. Um, they are amazing. But yeah, the, 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 they also do these... I mean, actual Lego do these super-duper £300 versions of... They've, I mean, they started with Old Trafford and now they've moved on to the Camp Nou and the Bernabeu, which is quite dangerous, mm. I think. Yeah, the, the ones I buy are 20% of the price, yep. I should say. Good. OK, football. Up next, Euro 2022 semi-finals. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son, because we've got two rip-roaring semi-finals coming our way in Euro 2022. England, Sweden, Tuesday. France, Germany, Wednesday. What a cracking final four for us, Tom. Yeah, I mean, you know, the sort of uh, semi-final lineup you you always hope for, and um, you know, there is always that that hope uh, in a major tournament that, that the cream will will rise to the top, and and you know, and four semi-finalists who I think all you know very much deserve to be where they are, but having all really had to sort of scrap to get to get through the quarterfinals, yeah, great, a great couple of games in prospect, mm, indeed. All right, well, Flo, the Lionesses are looking to break their semi-final hoodoo having lost at this stage in their last three major tournaments and they're facing the team they never beat. Not in a competitive fixture, in fact. Since 1984, what was the final of the inaugural Women's Euro Championships? Uh, England beat the Swedes then, but it was a two-legged affair and Sweden still won anyway on penalties. Why is this time going to be different? Um, I think this time will be different because... England have a different manager, which I think is probably one of the biggest factors uh, that kind of adds to their danger this tournament. And and they've got a, a manager who has been there and done it at home tournament. She's also changed their approach, I think, not just from a tactical point of view. She's, she's a fantastic like football coach, but also from a kind of mentality point of view. So that's, I think, going to be the difference maker is... The pressure that you get from being in a home tournament, I think, is just you can't you can't practice for that. You can't rehearse for that. But having a coach who is there and knows what it takes to, you know, as as cliche as it sounds, block out the noise, I think is so important. And I think also coming off the back of that really shaky win against Spain in which England were the worst team for about 83 minutes of the game. Um, I think is a huge learning curve as well. And I think they actually needed that wake-up call because otherwise they they could have breezed through to this round without really being tested at all. They hadn't conceded a goal up until that point. So I think it's really important to have that. And I also think they're just a better team than they were, you know, three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago. I was trying to do all the maths. But yeah, Mm. then all those years ago, they are a better team. All right, three years ago the 2019 World Cup when they met Sweden in the third, fourth playoff. And of course, Sweden won 2-1 on that occasion. That was the last time the two teams have met. Sweden, as I mentioned, only going through against Belgium by a single goal, but absolutely battering 
their opposition in the course of that game. Uh, to find out a little bit more about how the Swedes are looking, let's speak to our friend Frida Fagerlund of Afton Bladet. Hi, Frida. Hi, James. Hello. You bumped into Daniel the other day. I did, yeah. The funny thing was is that I saw her fan club after the game, James, because I was <laughs> walking out of Bramall Lane and there were four Swedish fans in front of me, all of whom had Fargal and Ten on the back of their shirts. So I messaged Frida and said, is this your fan club? And I didn't realise, but Fagerland is apparently quite a rare surname in Sweden. So you were quite impressed, weren't you? Yeah, I still I still don't know who that was, but I'm, I'm very, uh, yeah, I'm very keen to know. <laughs> Definitely. Who the Fagerland is? Interesting. This was after the 1-0 victory over Belgium. How did you enjoy that, uh, Frida? Uh, kind of the most one-sided 1-0 you could have asked for. Yeah, they were quite dominant in the, in the game, but I felt like afterwards, of course, the Swedish players were happy, but at the same time, you can just tell there was such a relief being through because they knew that they were the big favourites going up against Belgium. So, yeah, they were very, very relieved to, yeah, just win that game and just proceed to the next one. Mm, 33 shots Sweden had. Belgium had just three, none of them on target. Uh, the 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 team had been affected by COVID going into that game, so not at full strength. How are they looking ahead of the of the England match? To be honest, we don't really know. They've been very secretive about it. They don't want to give anything away to to England, so they they're keeping the lid on. Uh, what we do know is that Kosovara Slani, even though that she hasn't been seen for the past few days, it seems like she's going to be able to to start. Caroline Seger is doubtful, but it doesn't feel like that big of a loss, to be honest, because Natalie Bjorn has been doing very well replacing her so far. So, And then Jonna Andersson, we don't really know about her because she had COVID. We don't know if she's been testing negative or, yeah, what's going on there. I'll, I guess we get some answers at the practice today, but yeah, that's the that's the current state of the Swedish team. All right, Adam Taylor writes in. He says, "Why is the Swedish women's team so tedious, and why will they beat us one nil on Tuesday?" What do, what do you say to Adam, Frida? Um, I'm saying that I'm, I'm not really sure, but I I do think that this game will probably fit Sweden better than playing like a low block like Belgium. It's just they, they have bit, had some issues with, you know, being effective in the final third. So I wasn't surprised they took them so long to get that win against Belgium. And obviously they struggled against Switzerland as well, who's, who was also like a slightly physical team. So I, I think this, uh, this game will suit them pretty well. And uh, it feels like also... They're quite relieved to be able to put all the pressure on England because that's obviously what they're doing at the moment. They keep saying that, you know, England England are the favourites, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that they feel quite pleased about that because going into this tournament, they were very they were very sure of themselves and then they started quite shakingly. So, yeah, I, I think that this is uh, this is probably for the best, them being sort of the underdogs going into this game. Because mm, they didn't look uh, shaky or indeed tedious in the group stages when they demolished Portugal 5-0. So something for England fans to be aware of there. It's 38 years, Frida, though. We talked about this last time you were on since Sweden. For all the finals you've been in, have actually won... A competition, of course, back then it was in England that you did it. 
1984. That Kenilworth Road, of all uh, grounds. How is the mood then ahead of this? Is there a feeling that destiny is is the wind uh, beneath your wings? It kind of was that ahead of the tournament, but like I said, they they've been they haven't really been clicking so far. Well, they did in the Portugal game, but that was a bit different because they they were just so good on set pieces, and Portugal were just so bad at defending. So to put it all in in perspective, I think that. Right now, Sweden just know that they aren't favourites going into this game. But obviously, they know that they still have a good chance of beating mm. England. It's it's a team that they know very, very well. There's so many players in, in the Women's Super League. And yeah, they played each other back in 2019. They played each other in a friendly not too long ago. So I, I think that they, even though they know that it's going to be, be very tough, and obviously, they have to have to make their best game that they've played so far, but I think that they still feel like there is a slight chance that they could go through to to the final. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. A slight chance. Flo, uh, Freddie was mentioning Aslani there, who certainly was uh, spectacular in that huge win over Portugal. You were tweeting the other day, I will hold my hand up and say, I've always thought Kozovari Aslani was a bit overrated, but she's been immense this tournament. Yeah, I feel like, um, and I wonder what Frida thinks about this, coming into the 2019 World Cup, I think there was a lot of pressure on her, a lot of expectation. And and at that point in time, she had such a big brand and and kind of um, profile. And she had quite a a quiet tournament, in my opinion, all things all things concerned. And I think since then, she's moved clubs, she's changed clubs a a couple of times, actually. and, And I think she's found herself more comfortable in in the role that she's playing in the position she's playing. And I think in this tournament, she's been absolutely fantastic. And she's been a key part in the way that Sweden are playing, whether it's, you know, having quality from dead ball situations in the inset pieces or or also providing kind of a, a, a focal point in midfield for the front three to work off, but also, you know, coming back to support her defenders. So I think she's had such a, a good tournament and she's going to be vital if, if she is fit on Tuesday to, I believe, Sweden's chance of beating England. There's been a lot of talk about Fridolina Rolfa not being at her best, playing on, on the left. But that has a lot to do with the fact that Kosova Aslani, she plays, even though she, she counts as a midfielder, she plays so high and usually out on the right. So the, a lot of the spotlight has been on her. But that's the way that the national coach wants to play. He thinks that she is his his most important player. And it's very obvious. And even though she's a, she's a bit of a drama queen, but she's very, very useful for a team. It's almost like, you know, a hate-love situation because you love her when she's on your team, but you, you, you wouldn't want to play her on the field. Mm. Spain had a lot of fun. Uh, Frida going after England's fullbacks. Is that something Sweden are going to be looking to do? Yeah, probably. Um, I have to say that a key thing is whether Jon Andersson can play or not, because she was absolutely brilliant in the opening game against the Netherlands on the left back. So that is that is definitely a key, because Sweden, Sweden is going to want to use the flank as much as possible, shutting down England, obviously, but also uh, also using using them for themselves. So that is definitely a key, whether whether Jordan can play or not. But yeah, the battle of the, the wings, I guess you can describe this game like that. 
Also, I think it's 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 funny, Frida. I always think Jon Anderson had you know quite a tough time at Chelsea and and never really got, uh, especially over the last couple of years, kind of enough starting time. I think Emma Hayes kind of lost trust in her a little bit, but it always feels like for Sweden she just becomes this completely different player. She's so comfortable, she's so confident bombing forward, and it was the same in the Olympic Games last summer. She she had a phenomenal tournament, so I, I feel like playing for Sweden really gets the best out of her. Yeah, I I guess she hasn't been the first choice for that long, though. Uh, I, I feel like it's more her ability suits very well to this new new system of, you know, her pushing pushing forward. We don't really have a player on the left that can do that. Uh, Amanda Niden, who came on against Belgium, she's a very young player. I think that she could potentially become very good. But right now, Jon Andersen is definitely the best option we have. Excellent. All right. Well, Frida, you're going to be at Bramwell Lane, I imagine, on Tuesday. Yes, I right. am. With your fan club and your entourage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Frida, well, have a great time, Frida, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Frida Fagland. All right. Lots to be made of the of the extra rest time that England will have had two extra days since their quarter-final, Daniel. Yes, uh, I would say, for, from, the, from watching the tournament, Sweden seemed like the fittest team in it, from, from what I've seen. The, the, the energy levels have been pretty remarkable. They have rotated both through choice and through necessity with, with COVID issues. And they also pretty much glided past Belgium. I know it was a late goal, but they had more of the ball. They had all the chances. They were pretty confident and, and comfortable. And England were pushed all the way by Spain and, and had less of the ball and haven't changed their, their team at all so far in this tournament. So I, I, my, my suspicion is that the two days rest will be counteracted by everything else. I don't think it really makes a difference. These players now are prepared to play every two days if they need to over a short period of time. And I think Sweden will be fine. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Well, last three games, Norway and Northern Ireland were strolls. Spain was a far more stressful affair. What, what do you think this one's going to be, Flo? Ooh, it's so tough to call. Um, it's been so long since I think England got to show how much they've grown against bigger sides in, in terms of up until that Spain game, I mean, because World Cup qualifiers have been so one-sided. They faced a Netherlands side in, in the warm-up this tournament who were really, really good for 20 minutes but completely fell apart and have really struggled since their new coach came in. So I just don't know if, if this England group have had enough experience yet against the rest of these three teams that are in this tournament. Like This is, like uh, I think Tom said, like you know the cream rises to the top. And I think England are part of that cream... But whether they're the double cream or the single cream, mm. I'm not quite sure yet. And that is going to be the difference because they are so good on Serenium Beeman. But we just, I think we have so little to kind of compare it to at the moment. And I went into that Spain game so confident that having watched all of Spain's group games and having watched all of England's group games, that England were by far the superior team and they weren't going to be undone by, by Spain. But... England still are quite one-dimensional and Frida kind of hinted to this. You know, there is so much reliance on certain players and if coaches get the tactics right, which I don't think it's too hard to do, I think England really do struggle when they're forced to go direct, go over the top 
and Sweden will likely, you know, try and play with the same sort of playbook that Spain did. And, and it's not going to be easy to turn things around like they did against Spain. So mm. I don't know. It's so hard to call, but I have to go England, with England the cream, victory. but they could get whipped. The message from oh, you just, France, <laughs> I was just a poised to make the exact same pun. No way. I think um, <laughs> the, the the interesting thing from from Vigman's point of view is we said she picked the same team four times in a row, but whether the substitutions in the Spain game that did change the game, whether that was an acceptance on her part that she initially got it wrong, or whether that was just a you know, that was plan A and we needed to shift through the gears, so I chose plan B and that worked. Because that will have to factor in her, you know, her decision-making for, for the team that starts against Sweden. It will be as hard as against Spain. Does she start Alicia Russo? Does she drop Ellen White? Does she start Ella Toon? You know, these are decisions that she will have to make. I suspect we get the same team again, but if it goes wrong again and it doesn't work out so well this time, questions will be asked. I think it's a really tough one for Wiegmann in England because she's proved herself to be such a fantastic coach. And in some ways, this routine, this rhythm, this pattern has worked. But the first time there were signs of, of uh, you know, the plan not quite working in that game against Spain, she she rolled the dice and it, and, it, and it worked out. But I think the entire narrative has been, what if it's too late and the roll of the dice, it, you know, it's too late to bring on those subs. And I do think the only change we might see on Tuesday's game is Alex Greenwood replacing Rachel Daly at left back because Daly was having a torrid time and was getting turned absolutely inside out and upside down. So I think that's probably the one change that we might see. But apart from that, I don't see we making any changes because she's so set on this squad and she trusts this squad. And... You know, so far, in some ways, they have proved her right. So we'll see what happens. Indeed. All right. That's coming up then Tuesday. Uh, shortly, we'll hear about the other semi-final and loads more to come on this Totally Football show as we touch on the big transfer news over the weekend, Daniel, but also on some of the key and highly significant and entirely worth drawing lessons from uh, friendly results uh, this week. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right, Germany, France taking place at Stadium MK on Wednesday. Tom, you saw Germany against Austria. Tell us what's going to happen against France. Yeah, so I mean, Germany probably deserved winners against Austria in the end uh, down at Brentford. My first visit to the Brentford Community Stadium. Very nice it is too. But in fairness, Austria gave them, you know, gave them a bit of a scare. He had, had a real go, hit the woodwork three times. I was sitting right behind the Austria uh, bench and they were sort of kicking and heading every ball and I was kind of vicariously kicking and heading every ball with them. And uh, yeah, Germany didn't look particularly impressive, but in that very sort of German way ended up getting the job done and it, it 
ultimately sort of boiled down to, I hesitate to call the first one an error, um, but the Austrian goalkeeper Manuela Zinsberger kind of shanked a, um, a clearance midway through the second half. Germany won the ball high up and, and, you know, within a few seconds it was in the back of the net. And then right at the end of the game, an, another, I mean, this time sort of a kick that was charged down by Alexandra Pop and Germany made it 2-0. Um, so Germany pretty much where you'd expect them to be, still haven't conceded a goal. And then again, similar to the first semi-final, They'll have had two days uh, of extra rest um, because that game was on Thursday, whereas France beat the Netherlands in their quarterfinal on Saturday. But France reaching the semi-finals represents the the smashing of this glass ceiling that they've been butting their heads against for for the last ten years. I mean, it's their first semi-final since the 2011 World Cup. If you if you discount the the, the Olympic tournament the following summer, um, and it's yeah, it, it's it's been a kind of monkey on the back of of, of the French team throughout the last 10 years um, and you, you saw that at, at the final whistle you know players sinking to their knees like you know punching the air it, it's a huge deal for French women's football for them to have finally kind of overcome this obstacle and yeah it's similar to um, the Sweden-Belgium game France had 33 shots to uh, the Netherlands nine I think it was so 33 obviously the magic number if you want to dominate your opponents but not kill them off until the very end of the game because they had to wait uh, until extra time and, and it was a penalty from from Eve Perissé who was on her way to Chelsea uh, that, that settled it so yeah I mean I, th- you know, I, th- I think you'd have Germany as, as favourites given their, their pedigree but France have got a bit of momentum and yeah you know for, for them getting beyond the quarterfinal stage means that this is already a successful tournament pretty much but you know they were you know in the press conferences after the game and and all the interviews that they've given since you know the talk has been that you know we can't allow ourselves to be satisfied with this we you know we're here to we're here to win this we're here to win this trophy so you know i, I guess we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll see whether france really can make a make a breakthrough on um on wednesday I took my mum to the Germany Austria game at Brentford on on uh, what, what day of the week was I literally lost Thursday, all sense Thursday, of Thursday yeah. all sense of time um, and when that that goal went in when Zitzberger hit it sort of directly at Alexandra Pop she just turned to me and went those goals shouldn't stand it's just not nice and I was like Do you know what. <laughs> I completely agree with you because we should have a reset now. That goal shouldn't count. We should Austria should still have time to to try and get something out of this game because they've had an unbelievable tournament. Actually, um, they got to the semi-finals of the last Euro, so it's not like they haven't been you know deep in the tournament before. But I think they in 2017 they took a lot of people by surprise, and I, I still don't know if they've really kind of got the ruthlessness of of the the four teams that are still here that you know there is a real gap there but they've been so impressive and the fact that they hit the woodwork three times in that game and couldn't manage to score is just absolutely ridiculous and they obviously pushed England all the way in that group game and came so close to to dethroning Germany so I'm excited for the future of Austrian women's football and they may be on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup for the first ever time because they're currently second in the same qualifying group as England so they should get a playoff spot and it'd be brilliant to see them at the World Cup so it was it was so frustrating not to see them like even take it to extra time or push Germany all the way but uh, I thought that was probably actually one of my favourite quarterfinal games I thought it was such an exciting game Oh brilliant All right. on the subject of uh, women's football by the way you may have seen South Africa are the African champions. They won their first ever WAFCON title on Saturday, beating host Morocco 2-1 in front of 52,000 fans. Banyana, banyana. 
they call them. They'd lost five previous finals. How about that for changing the narrative? A wonderful celebrations as well. Did you see the... Yes. yes. The instant meme of... So one of the South African players is doing a, a, a massively impressive dance routine. And then across the screen, just sort of almost slides one of her teammates, feigning putting lipstick on as she as she goes from right to left across the screen. It is a tremendous, tremendous move. Excellent. All right. Now, elsewhere this weekend, uh, Benji Lanyardo spent the weekend doing a Bella Gutman on Nottingham Forest after they sealed the deal for Jesse Lingard. Oof, this was a shock, shock for many, Daniel. Jay yeah. Ling's at the City Ground. I would say that I would say mm. that if there's a, a football club that has proven that it doesn't need to be cursed by anyone else <laughs> to undermine themselves, it's probably Nottingham Forest. But fair play. The deal has raised some eyebrows. Kind of yeah. Barcelona esque financial irresponsibility. Some people are calling it. What is it? They've seen figures of two hundred thousand a week banded around. Yeah, what, which is what's true. the reality? Um, I mean, the reality is that it's a gamble on on Jesse Lingard's part, I think. Um, although it is only a one-year deal. I think it's a gamble on Forrest's part, but then it, it really blindsided me, this kind of... I hadn't appreciated that, that Forrest were going to cause the games-gone moment of the summer, but it appears to have done that. Um, the reality is they're paying him quite a lot of money, although they're basically playing him the same that they're paying Dean Henderson for his year-long loan, and that doesn't seem to have caused the same sort of... Hoo-ha, I don't know why. And they're getting him on a free transfer. It's a better player than Forrest would otherwise have got for free. Now, it is only a year contract, but if you say, well, this is going to cost Forrest somewhere in the region of £7 million for the year, well, that's fine for Forrest. They'd rather that than pay a £15 million fee for someone who's on a three-year contract who they're then lumped with those high wages if they go down to the Championship, which is a perfectly normal thing to happen next season. Mm. This way, they get Lingard for a year. They hope that he is motivated to firstly try and get back in the England squad, which covers the first half of the season. And then for the second half of the season, is motivated to get the best club he can next season. And that might seem slightly cynical, but it also works for both parties. So... Yeah, I think it's it's a great move. It's, it's, it's a type of player that Forrest would not have otherwise been able to attract. I am slightly worried about the vast gold rush of new players into Nottingham Forest. but He's the 11th. Yeah, but the reality is they didn't have a choice. Um, the comparison with, with Villa, I think in... I think it was eighteen nineteen is is right where they they got promoted had a huge number of loan players which meant they basically had a squad of about thirteen outfield players going into the summer and therefore had to buy loads and that's what they've done. Um, and how how did that work out for Villa in eighteen? They stayed up by a point, which right. is good, but they did have I think Bournemouth, Watford, and Norwich below them, which Forest don't have the luxury of this season. Right. Um, Look, Steve Cooper's a great manager. He he likes developing young players. They've they've almost exclusively bought players in the twenty to twenty four age bracket because they have resale value, and if they go down, some of them will. The aim is that some of them will fire them back to promotion. But it's fascinating. There's mm. there's no doubt about that. It's it's very weird. There's a potential for the first day of the season because Ryan Yates is injured. That only three players that will start that game that were at the club last season, which is it's kind of Championship manager stuff. But we shall see. Okay. Jay Ling's first home game as a Forest player, if fit and selected, would be against West Ham on the 14th of August. Woof. I'm very excited. I'm on the Jay Ling's hype train. Um, I think it was a joy to watch him 
at West Ham. I think he's someone who plays best when he's got a smile on his face. And I think if if Forrest can cultivate an environment in which he feels loved, he feels confident. I mean, there's so many players like that that just need the right environment and to to have you know that that warmth of, of feeling a little bit special. I mean, don't we all sometimes? And I think that's what gets the best out of Jaylings. And if he's smiling, I think he'll be playing really exciting, great football. I think he just needs to find that place again because it's there. I mean, we all thought it was gone and then Moyes managed to find it again at West Ham. Mm. So it's definitely there. I think Steve Cooper can bring it out of him and I'm excited to see what he can do next season. Indeed. West Ham, meanwhile, looks set to ease their heartache at missing out on Jesse with the signing of Gianluca Scamacca from Sassuolo for, I think they're talking about 36 million euros. Scamacca's excellent. Mm, uh, PSG were in for him as well, but they weren't mm. prepared to go as high as Sassuolo were were asking for because he, I mean, he would basically have been a, a backup player at PSG. But then I, I mean, is he going to is he going to be a regular starter at West Ham or is I, he being signed yeah. as the he's the, as the big backup man up to, front, to Antonio? Surely, yeah. No, but what happens start. to Mikel Antonio now then? Well, he plays. I think, often. I think they'll rotate with Europe, European mm. football. I mean, Antonio's hamstrings. He, he had hamstring problems when he was at Forest. His it's a mini miracle that he's managed to kind of battle through the last three seasons pretty much uninterrupted. So, yeah, I think they'll kind of rest and rotate, which, which let's face it, all clubs are going to be doing around the World Cup this this season. The benefit of signing players like Sklamaka is that they get a month off in, in November. <laughs> yes, indeed. Having said that, Sklamaka, huge figure. Was he six foot nine or something ridiculous like that? Uh, and a, a great goal scorer, natural finisher, all that. But like Antonio, it's equally capable of, of setting up a, a, another player. So it'd be fascinating to see the two of them working together. I don't know if that enters into Moyes' philosophy. Anyway, yes, another of a long line of successful Italians at at uh, at West Ham. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I was just thinking about Simone Zaza. Simone Zaza. <laughs> yeah, Paolo Di Canio, surely. Anyway. Uh, good. Oh, finally some good news for me. He's signed for Brentford. Uh, there you go. Obligatory me style pants there. That's. Um, do, do we want to comment on that? Or was it only in there so I could say? No, although there, it, 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 was, it was interesting to hear him talk about his commitment to carbon neutrality okay. after his transfer. It sort of initially implied before watching the video that he'd walked from Burnley to Brentford, which wasn't the case but I mean fair play to him because it's something that well he he basically said I'm gonna work I know that football is you know is is not carbon neutral for the environment I know that football transfers aren't carbon neutral for the environment therefore I'm gonna work in the future specifically to offset the carbon production of my transfer to make it carbon neutral which is a gesture but the point the point is that a Premier League footballer has spoken out about the climate change crisis, which I think is a really good thing. So good on him. Right. Alan Spray indeed writing in saying record heat wave in the UK, floods in Australia during matches out there. How about some chat on the next pod about the responsibility of Premier League clubs doing their pre-season games on the other side of the world? With all its money, what can the Premier League do to lead on climate change? Well, there can be no better ambassador than, than Ben Me because if you know if you want to make a change in the world, the change has to start with with me. Oh dear. With yourself, with you, with, with the change has to come from. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, think of it, yourself yeah. as as me. So <laughs> that's me with a double E and a single. Yeah, yeah, there's there's there's, there's <laughs> scope there's scope there for something, 
But I mean, it's kind of, a, you know, an exciting development in the kind of Ben Mee character arc because he, you know, there were times last season at Burnley when he, you know, spoke out on, on various social issues, which is to his credit. So it's, you know, mm. his embracing of his kind of woke carbon neutral self will, I'm sure, only be uh, enhanced by, uh, by moving to London. Brilliant. Nice one. There's no I in team, but there is a me for Brentford. Uh, only one Premier League outfit have yet to make a single signing this summer. Mm. Who is it? It's Leicester City. Who, I mean, are basically stuck because the wage to turnover ratio is is too high. Uh, they've lost a combined, I think, around 90 million in the last two years, you know, of combined accounts over the last two years. Uh, and, and they can't really afford to buy new players until they sell some. And yet the players who they would sell, I mean, Euro Tielemans is the obvious one, but they just haven't had a bid that they would like to accept. I'm not even sure they've had a bid at all. And the other players that are linked away are the players, the, the kind of crown jewels that they don't want to sell, which is James Justin and Luke Thomas and Harvey Barnes. There's talk of a Newcastle £50 million interest in Harvey Barnes over the weekend. So in a really difficult position, I mean... They have the best front six outside of outside the big six, I think. And, and transfers aren't everything, but there's something about being the only club that hasn't bought a player that smacks of kind of stagnancy, which is really unfair because, you know, Leicester are such overachievers. Last season was seen by supporters as a step back, seen as a bit of a, you know, a really disappointing season. They finished eighth in the Premier League. So I kind of feel that they, there's just something building there about... Rogers or Leicester or both becoming victims of their own success. Mm. All right. Nice bit of perspective there from Daniel. Well, we mentioned pre-season friendlies. There's certainly been some eye-catching results. So let's get on to some of those next. I'm Mark McGettigan, a.k.a. the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a Fantasy Premier League manager. And I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks and insight on the Athletics FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. And listen ad-free on the Athletic app. Right, the FPL general, Mark McGettigan there. Uh, Daniel, I know you play the FPL and you're gonna be, you, you'll be able to select Forest players for the first yeah. time this season. Yeah, Nico Williams, £4 million, obviously down as a Liverpool massive reserve defender. He should be in everybody's team because that okay. is a steal. Right, uh, producer Charlie's got him in. A deadline, of course, will be sometime next Friday, not, not this Friday, a week on Friday afternoon. Now, on this day, 25th of July in 1993, England won the under-18 Euros. Ta-da, beating Turkey 1-0. Check out the lineup: A young side featuring a fresh-faced Robbie Fowler, Gary Neville, Paul Scholes and Saul Campbell. Crikey. It was uh, Darren Kasky of Spurs who had the only goal, though, from the penalty spot. And that, ooh, the final took place at the city ground. Mm. A lot I'm of told, Nottingham content. I'm told I went, but I've got absolutely no memory of it, and I was seven years old, and right. I thought I remembered everything about football at that time, but apparently not. Apparently not. By the way, just a year later, Robbie Fowler, by this point, I think he was 19, scored what was the fastest ever hat-trick in Premier League history. Of course, 
Premier League had only been going a couple of years at that point. But still, it was really impressive. Four minutes and 33 seconds for Robbie to put three past the Arsenal. Of course, the Arsenal. But he's away again. Is this going to be the hat-trick? It could still be. It is! Uh, that was in August 1994. And that, by some happy coincidence, is the subject of today's entry on the Athletics' top 50 Premier League individual performances ever. It's number nine. Can't wait to see what the top eight are. Woof. Uh, here's a question. Uh, Danny, it's, it's not actually much of a question, but I've got to say I'm shocked at the hate the 2010 World Cup got from the last pod. So many great moments, storylines, and then Danny lists lots of storylines, which I have to say, Danny, we mentioned these, all of these, but capped off with two great sides in the final, add to that the overall feel of a first African World Cup, the music, the Vuvuzela, etc. Yay, nay, 2010 World Cup. Tom, you're shaking your head. Big nay. No, big nay. I was, I was part of the slander um, when, we, when we discussed of that course. on a recent podcast, so I'm not going right. to change course now. I mean, you know, it had its moments, and you know, mm. some, of, some of them have just, been, have just been cited. But overall, yeah, when I think of that World Cup, I just no. think of the drone of the Vuvuzelas the and the kind of drone of Spain's football. Even though I was kind of pretty pro-Spain at the time, it didn't make for particularly exciting matches. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a big fat thumbs down from me. I'm afraid. All right then, yay or nay, Flo? I mean, I always look through well, major tournaments in an England lens. Sorry, so listener, no. but I just do it. Yeah. So no, big no. fat no. All right then, Daniel, you love all football all the time. So mm, a goal for Africa, a goal, for, a goal for South Africa, a goal for all of Africa is there you my, go. One, my abiding memory of that tournament. Even though I just got the commentary wrong about five seconds ago. <laughs> All right. On this day, on August the 9th, uh, we'll be off to the Lowry in Manchester for a special season preview. I believe the season will already have started on the 9th. Is that right? Yes. Uh, A week one review and rest of season preview, then call it. Uh, You can see what emerges when Michael Cox, Duncan Alexander, and Julian Laurens join me on stage if you head to thelowry.com for tickets. Oh, I mentioned some of those friendlies that caught our eye over the weekend. Daniel, I know you're strong and you can't look at the table until three mm. months into the season. I bet you've got one of those signs up on the wall saying you can't pay attention to friendlies either. Is there ever a time, though, when you can pay attention to friendlies? Maybe, for example, just after you've played Hertha Berlin, but not so much after you play Union Berlin. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I think you can pay attention to what managers say after pre-season friendlies, uh, which segues me in nicely to Thomas Tuchel's kind of panic about Chelsea at the moment. I really, really, really enjoyed the... I mean, he didn't do it deliberately, but the, the use of the words, we had an urgent appeal for quality players, like this sort of, can you donate £2 a month so we can sign Jules Kunde, was... That really tickled me, I have to say. Um and I'm I'm in the process of writing interminable amount of words about season previews at the moment, and I I've got Chelsea fifth, which mm. probably means that I have taken something out of pre-season friendlies because all does not look particularly well, and the 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 you know I think Arsenal and, and Tottenham have just improved more than they have. So you've got Arsenal in the top four, have you? Yeah, which is is, is basically my Stockholm syndrome because I just. Uh, one year I'll be right that they will improve enough to finish in the top could, four. This could, I have to say, I, this could be the year. It feels different. Four wins out of four, and I know they're pre-season games. 
Nuremberg 5-3, Everton 2-0, Orlando 3-1, but wow, Chelsea 4-0 at the weekend. Sammy Janaway's in. He says, are pundits sleeping on Arsenal? Saying how well we've done in the transfer market, but saying we won't get top four. Tom? I mean, I would generally go along with the view that you shouldn't read too much into pre-season friendlies because time and time again, teams who absolutely fly throughout pre-season hit their first league fixture um, and all the shortcomings that have been glossed over in pre-season suddenly come to the fore. Um, I do think that for a team like Arsenal, you know, such a a young team uh, and at such a crucial stage of their development, trying to build on the progress they made last season... I, th- I think there is value for them in playing well in pre-season because when you have not so much a kind of fragile e- equilibrium, but but you know particularly with this this young squad, that confidence is is really important. You know that buy-in, that sense that things are moving in the right direction. You know, trust the project that Mikel Arteta does have a plan. And so when you see the team going out and you know thrashing. Uh, a team who will be big top four rivals less than two weeks before the start of the season. That That's obviously going to put everyone in, in a positive frame of mind. Um, mm. Going back to Chelsea, I mean, clearly la- the end of last season was was extremely difficult with Abramovich being forced out and, you know, that, that very curious spectacle of, of Chelsea playing their, their final home games in front of a less than full Stamford Bridge. But then, you know, since then, the, the, the takeover's gone through and, you know, they've, they've lost players. But, you know, uh, albeit they've only signed two players, they've signed two exceptional players, you know. And if, if, you, if you were to compare the players who've gone out with the players who, who've come in, uh, assuming that they get another centre-back through the door, you know, looking like potentially, potentially Jules Koundé, I think there's almost an argument for saying that they are you know, stronger on, on paper than last season in, in terms of the first 11 because Lukaku is no loss because he barely featured last season. If you upgrade uh, Christensen and Rudiger to Kaladu Koulibaly and Koundé or someone else, mm. you've made the you've made the team stronger. Uh, I mean, it is classic Tuchel to, to, to make a, a big song and dance about not getting the transfers he wants when he wants them. And, you know, this is a big feature of his time at PSG, I I I recall, but um, yeah, for all for all the you know the, the negativity there was towards the end of last season, I I don't see Chelsea looking quite as as feeble as as they're being perhaps made out to look in in, in okay. some quarters. Kundi, one of the targets remaining for Chelsea, but he's also being courted by Barcelona. Uh, a similar scenario to the one recently we saw for Rafinha, who uh, opted for the Catalans and featured for his new side uh, this weekend in El Clasico, or rather the Soccer Champions Tour in Las Vegas. Barcelona beating uh, Real Madrid, of course, sorry, uh, 1-0, and it was Rafinha's goal, and what what a peach it was. Yeah, I think I think the only value I can take out of preseason is almost like watching old World Cup videos and just kind of enjoying the goals in isolation. And mm. that was a, to be fair, was an absolutely without seemingly much backlift, got an extraordinary amount of power to send it into the top corner. Mm. Um, but yes, yes, it was it was a, it was a goal for a, a six second video rather than a match to watch. I right. Think. Okay. I mean, which is, I'm going to say, probably when most of us saw it. Yeah. Uh, a quick clip of Kane, his brace against Rangers. You might have seen the first of those was rather delicious. And how about Erling Haaland's first goal for Man City? Classic, classic Erling, I would call this, as they beat Bayern Munich. And exactly the, the sort of goal that he's been signed to score. Uh, you know, we're used to seeing Erling Haaland, you know, sort of, 
charging towards goal from from the halfway line with defenders, you know, left flat on their backs in in, in his wake. But I mean, you know, the, the issue that, that City had, and it wasn't a major issue given given you know what an exceptional they, season they had. But the issue they had was occasionally not being able to transform their their territorial dominance and their their dominance of possession into into goals. Um, and it, in a way, I mean, you know, they haven't just signed Erling Haaland for six yard tap ins. That is a little bit kind of you know using a sledgehammer to crack a nut. But using I, I a Nordic that, meat shield, surely. Well, yeah, indeed. Um, but I mean, I think I think that showed you know what he's you know what he what he should bring to the team. Just that extra sort of predatory quality um, mm. in that that part of the pitch. Um, and yeah, as ever, when you, you know, when you sign a new striker for him to get a, a goal on his his first appearance, it's usually, um, you know, at least there's no sort of oh he still hasn't scored yet. Chat. Indeed, um, indeed. Flo, can you take preseason friendly seriously? I mean, the fact that QPR lost to Crystal Palace, I would never take preseason friendly seriously. Last season, when QPR beat Manchester United, I may have taken them seriously, but definitely not this summer. I think most of the chat as well from a QPR perspective was about the fact that there were no concessions open to buy any water and everyone's water had been taken away on entry to the stadium. That was probably actually the conversation that most people were most concerned about rather than the quality of the football on the pitch. Um, but, you know, why, like, why was I that? Think, what, why, were, why were the concessions closed? Yeah, and then they took everyone's water away but didn't allow them to... Because you know what they're like at these football grounds. They really think people are going to lob their Evians at Wilfred Zaha, you know, a week before the season starts in a meaningless friendly because right. they're just so frustrated with the state of the situation during a heat wave. Um, wow. It is what it is. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think people are getting too het up on it. But I certainly think it's going to be an interesting season for QPR with a new manager quite a few new players as well um so expectations are at a medium to low point speaking of six second clips we we, we might have caught on the social media the zaha's strike one of his strikes at loftus road was particularly delicious zaha to penteke zaha it's magnificent and his sparkling pre-season continues you know it's summer when Wilfred Zaha is being linked with a move to a club who has not necessarily shown any interest in bidding the price that Crystal Palace would probably want. This summer it's it's Jose Mourinho's Roma who have, were reported to be interested. I mean, it doesn't really seem They don't need fit, him. They've got Paulo Dybala. I was going to say, yeah. Mm. The standout signing of the summer. It's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting, yeah. And Jose Mourinho, a man famed for the sort of patience he shows with mercurial... <laughs> tricky wide players so match, match made in heaven there was, a, um, there was a little sidebar in today's Gazetta uh, listing some of the kind of creative players that, that, that they've got at the moment Roma like Zaniolo and Dybala and uh, Pellegrini and uh, who's the other one oh, Tammy Abraham I assume he's saying could, could Magic Moo make all four play together and I thought good lord have they really <laughs> no, not been following you met Jose Mourinho he's, then he's licking his lips at seeing Nemanja Matic in training let's not worry about that the um the patience he also showed with the man making his proposal. Did you catch that? Oh video? yes, extraordinary. Oh, I, I, it was one of those. I, I was scrolling down Twitter and the video mm. started playing, and I saw what it was. Man uses meeting with Jose Mourinho to propose to partner, and it was. I couldn't watch it. I stopped no. watching it. It was. I, I didn't, didn't even want to know. Y por el virus, no te he podido llevar al estadio todavía. Pero antes quiero pedirte. Si te quieres pasar conmigo, 
There are many bad things in life, but public proposals are top of the list. Second sure. most awkward uh, video on social media this week involving a City Air manager. I think first place probably has to go to Luciano <laughs> Spalletti, who, yes. who picked up a, a, a cap that was thrown to him from the stands at uh, Castel, Castel di Sangro and um, uh, wore it in front of the cameras, only later discovering that it said Pornhub across the front. So anyway, <laughs> that. to finish off, Tom, it wasn't a friendly... But over in MLS, LAFC beat Sporting Kansas City 2-0. The second of the goals from Gareth Bale. His first goal in MLS. Did you see it? I have seen a six-second clip of the goal. Yes. Boom. And he gets it out to Bale. Here's Gareth Bale against DC. And he sneaks it past Crapeau and in. Gareth Bale announces his presence and opens his MLS account. Yeah, perfect. I mean, I, I said on the pods when when the move was announced, I think it's the perfect move for, for Bale from a Wales perspective in that it gives him gives him frequent playing time in a reasonably competitive but not ultra competitive league. Um, so if LAFC could keep just taking him off the bench for the last sort of twenty minutes and allowing, and then allowing him to score the odd goal mm. uh, from now until November, that would be. Uh, that would be great. Thanks very if, much. If goalkeepers could keep almost getting to the ball, but actually just allowing it trickling, that will also work for Gareth. <laughs> it was an extre- yeah, it was an extremely sort of dribbly toe poke. Um, but hey, if he's going to find goals that easy to come by in, in MLS, then, you know, so much the better. Mm. Excellent. Well, that wraps it up then for today's Totally Football Show. Uh, we have another one on Thursday, of course. By when we'll know the finalists for Euro 2022. We'll also be looking ahead to the Community Shield a lot and other stuff too. Send us a question as well. Is there something you'd like us to be discussing? For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Tom, to Daniel, to Flo, producer Charlie, and you listener. Have a great week. We'll catch up with you Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.